the industry itself, regardless if you're talking about the factory floor, if you're talking about how the industry develops products that it sells, when you think of product engineering development, every single one of these areas are becoming and have become exponentially more complex, requiring more advanced technologies to do them. And so it's positioned the industry with one of the phenomena that we focus on in really areas of opportunity that is front and center with our customers, which is around this whole notion of workforce transformation related to a skills gap, right? So as I think of a global, um, the global industry in nature of it, as I think of dynamics such as an aging workforce, as I think about the complexity that's gone on in a factory floor, how do I do that when I can't get the volume of talent for an industry that has millions of factory floor workers, for example, and I can't attract enough talent to manage that, right? That's a major issue that we have to think about as additional, more advanced technologies, such as artificial intelligence, can continue to be brought in to amplify the environment. But when I'm already struggling on the skills gap issue, how do you really bridge that gap? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Data Binge podcast, a collection of discussions focused on augmenting human productivity and impact through the co-evolution with emerging technologies such as cloud computing, AI, my favorite, and everything you would expect to find interesting in today's world of big tech. I'm your host, Derek Russell, and today's episode is the third segment of a multi-part special series focusing on Industry 4.0, as businesses continue their bigger efforts to digitize and become more data-driven organizations, and as we continue to witness technological change from the factory floors all the way through to how we produce energy and grow food. I've been very much looking forward to sharing today's conversation with all of you. This was one of those discussions that really made me think deeper and more broadly about the bigger world problems as related to more finite business challenges. Some of these things look like how humans can be helped to do their best work, fairness in all aspects of the word as it relates to humankind, and sustainability, some really marquee items here that I think many of you will find interest in. The big topics discussed today will include everything from accelerating human ingenuity with inclusive technology, the tenets of ethical AI and the implications of sharing and creating principles that are widely adopted and designed for good, and the big disruptive forces that are impacting industry and manufacturing all around the globe. Wendy Bauer joins us on the podcast. Wendy currently leads the strategic activities for global business and go-to-market for manufacturing and resources at Microsoft. The areas she covers would include discrete manufacturing, process and chemical manufacturing, agrochem, power and utilities, oil and gas, and of course, mining. Wendy brings with her 20 years of experience in manufacturing and automotive and has worked at all capacities of the heavy industry and manufacturing life cycle. Everything from the shop floor to product development, sales, finance, procurement, vehicle development, quality engineering, everything else you can probably imagine that makes a business run. Wendy has spent quite some time at General Motors, as well as some other big names in the tier one automotive space, as well as some industrial engineering spaces, such as Denso, 
Eaton Corporation in Delphi. Wendy also brings with her an impressive academic background, double majoring in electrical and mechanical engineering at Kettering University, an MS in engineering at Purdue University, and an MBA in general management at Kelly School of Business at the Indiana University. Earlier this year, Wendy presented the opening keynote for Women Power 2019 at the Hanover Messe Conference in Germany, one of the world's largest conferences with 6,500 exhibitors and a quarter of a million visitors focused on industrial automation. I actually happened across one of her LinkedIn posts where she was highlighting some elements of her talk several months ago, and that is how I came to correspond with her about this discussion today. Really a wonderful chat, some really inspiring thought leadership from Wendy, and we cover a lot of topics. I think all of you will so much appreciate Wendy's long-term thinking, her attention to people and how important people are when building systems, and generally the way that she looks at the world. So thank you so much for listening. And now I bring you Wendy Bauer. Hi, Wendy. How are you? I'm well. How are you today? I'm doing really great. I'm really excited for you to be on this uh, little talk today. Excited to be here with you. Thanks for the invite. Yes, of course. So we actually don't know each other. We have never met in person. We've gotten on a call or two and we've exchanged some emails. But really, I found you because I was doing a a mini series on Industry 4.0 as part of this podcast. And I really saw that I needed to have some women talk about Mm -hmm. manufacturing and AI and Obviously, that's not very easy, especially knowing the diversity metrics in tech. But I I pretty quickly found your profile. You had exactly all the things I was looking for in someone who would be a leader in the space to talk about some of these different things. And we connected in and uh, it was just really fascinating that you have so much uh, leadership in this area and you had posts on LinkedIn or different countries and at these different conferences. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is She's the one. <laughs> so glad I found you. So why don't you jump in and, and tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and your, a little bit about your career and what you do today at Microsoft. Sure. Happy to. So Wendy Bauer, I, from a role perspective at Microsoft, I have the privilege of leading our strategy um, activities for our global business and go-to-market strategies, specifically for the manufacturing and resources industries. Um, how Microsoft defines the taxonomy of micro, excuse me, manufacturing and resources, what does that mean? It's everything from, let's say, discrete manufacturing to process and chemical manufacturing, agrochem. Um, on the resources side, that includes oil and gas, power and utilities, mining, et cetera. So landscape, as you can imagine, is quite vast. My particular background and how I came to manu- or Microsoft um, spent roughly 20 years in the manufacturing and, in particular, the automotive industry. So right out of high school, went to engineering school, started at General Motors, spent plenty of time on a factory floor, in manufacturing quality, vehicle development, um, product development, warranties, um, finance, purchasing. So essentially have spent time over a 20-year career in every capacity, if you will, inside of a manufacturing company, if you think of their end-to-end business um, enterprise and operations. 
um, <clears throat> kind of what led me to Microsoft and what's the really exciting part of the role that I have, as well as the opportunity that we have at Microsoft to partner with our customers was to really think about um, the convergence of the industry or businesses with the technology industry and understanding the opportunity that these two entities, if you will, working together, really the kinds of business challenges they can tackle together when businesses understand how technology can be leveraged um, to solve some of their biggest business problems. And even as I think of my role today and really where we spend a lot of our time on strategy and how we're going to partner with our not only our customers, but broader stakeholders is even working to solve things such as um, the world's biggest problems, let's say sustainability, for example. When you think of um, farming and the food sustainability issue that we have or water, et cetera. So again, understanding how we can leverage technology to solve any problem, big or small, business or the world, for example. Um, so that's the role that I play today on the strategy development side and working in partnership with our engineering community, our partner community, but really taking that external view of what's the market landscape, what are some of those disruptive forces, really impacting our customers in broader stakeholder community, and therefore understanding those disruptive forces, how can we partner with them? to really empower them to achieve whatever their ambitions are in business needs. I mean, that sounds like such a large task, such a <laughs> comprehensive role. I, I mean, it sounds so exciting. Um, it, it almost, I almost think about like a Bain consultant, but like 10 X across <laughs> so many different variables. And I think when I first reached out to you, you, you were saying, Hey, Derek, like I can't even talk to you for the next eight weeks because I'm preparing a, a pretty significant presentation for the senior leadership team at Microsoft Corporate. Some some people I think we've both heard about before. You were saying that you were interviewing different GMs from engineering and all these different spaces. What does that look like? How do you how do you pull together so many different perspectives and form an opinion? Like, was there a big learning you took away from that experience? Yeah, well, I could I could take this one a lot of different places. Um, you know, to be candid, I think there's no question in a company the size of Microsoft and the understandable complexity that we have in our business to to achieve and do all that we need to as an organization. Um, in the vast number of stakeholders you have across the community, when you think of engineering in our different um, engineering organizations, right? Azure Engineering or Office Engineering, for example. A lot of different engineering or organizations. You have our SELA organization. You have um, our one commercial partner organization. You have business development. You have the field sales organization, right? Each of these parts of the organization as stakeholders have a point of view that really needs to be understood to really bring together the best of Microsoft and to conclude on how are we going to bring people together and rally them around a one Microsoft point of view. We all know very well that together um, we are better than each of us individually. But to bring people together of that vast of an ecosystem to get them aligned around and have a common understanding of what we're trying to achieve, 
understand the broad goals and then the role that each plays inside, that task by itself isn't necessarily easier, easy. Um, what I would say is kind of the, the learning and the activity that we had over the past several months and where we've been really focused goes to the, the cultural um, journey that we've been seeing and just this whole notion of customer centricity, right? When you put your customer at the center of how you're thinking and think of it through the lens of either an industry or a particular customer, regardless the scope of how big or small you're trying to set that. Um, and you anchor the conversation on what is that external market landscape? What is that customer's goal? Now and only then when I understand that, let me start to understand their needs, their challenges, how can we partner with them? And then what's the role that each of us play? Um, and while it may not always come easy for anyone or any organization to do that, when you keep that as your anchor point, it helps the process. Right, to make sure you're really anchoring on, on where you need to keep, keep centered in terms of the focus to drive the right kind of outcome. Right? It wasn't a, here's what I have in terms of a capability, how am I gonna go sell it? It was very much oriented around understanding the market, understanding our customers, understanding societal impact that we're here to really drive um, and making sure we kept that front and center, which we did. Um, so really great learning opportunity, a lot of work, um, but it really demonstrates the impact that we can drive with our customers. And customer centricity, and it's it's so cool that you are anchoring to that and how you're it, you're taking a look at this broad science of understanding all these different perspectives, but it's it's all netting out back to this one term and just you know, stalking your LinkedIn profile and looking at your, your uh, academic background, you're definitely uh, someone who loves education. I mean, <laughs> everything from double majoring, uh, Kettering, uh, you mentioned an MS in engineering, getting your MBA, um, and then having all this experience working in the automotive industry, which I did an internship at Fiat Chrysler autom uh, Automobiles um, mm -hmm. in my MBA, and it was so customer-centric. And it, it was like, what do our customers want? What are they buying? Like, what are the needs? What are your thoughts about how things are starting to change across business and technology when it comes to manufacturing and when it comes to things that some of these businesses have to do in terms of the customer? Yeah. What are like, what are coming from your background and how things are shifting? Like, what are some big trends and things that you're seeing that are surprising you and that are yeah. interesting to you? Yeah, so there's a lot of a, a lot of different what I would say disruptive forces, such as if you take an industry like manufacturing, you know, I spent 20 years in the industry, and you perhaps either love it or you hate it. I happen to love it, and I I'm really drawn to it for a number of reasons. But there's there's historical um, perception. And in some cases, believed to be a reality, but perception around um, kind of old, dirty manufacturing as an example, right? So, what one simple example that I've raised there, but what that has created for that reason and many others, um, it's an industry that has kind of ebbed and flowed in its ability to attract workforce. The perception that it's low skilled, but think of the past 20 years in a manufacturing environment, 
with the amount of automation and robotics technology capabilities that have been brought into manufacturing as the industry itself has really had to be on a global platform in terms of competition, right? So the industry itself, regardless if you're talking about the factory floor, if you're talking about how the industry develops products that it sells, when you think of product engineering development, every single one of these areas are becoming and have become exponentially more complex, requiring more advanced technologies to do them. And so it's positioned the industry with one of the phenomena that we focus on in really areas of opportunity that is front and center with our customers, which is around this whole notion of workforce transformation related to a skills gap, right? So as I think of a global, um, the global industry in nature of it, as I think of dynamics such as an aging workforce, as I think about the complexity that's gone on in a factory floor, how do I do that when I can't get the volume of talent for an industry that has billion, you know, um, millions of factory floor workers, for example, and I can't attract enough talent to manage that, right? That's a major issue that we have to think about as additional more advanced technologies such as artificial intelligence can continue to be brought in to amplify the environment. But when I'm already struggling on the skills gap issue, how do you really bridge that gap, right? So that is kind of one major theme in and of itself that you could invest a tremendous amount of, of focus on to really transform inside of the customer. So that's one of them. The second theme that we see is this whole notion of um, connected products, right? Connected products in the sense of, I may be an industrial manufacturer, for example, producing parts that may go into industrial buildings or environments that perhaps are very capital intensive. They have a lifespan that needs certain service models to them. But when they go down, I've got a big complex asset sitting there costing me millions of dollars per day or per month or whatever. How do I essentially connect that product, collect data from it, get to a predictive environment so that I can service it better, right? Again, one simple example. Or even products that are more accustomed to like the end consumer versus industrial in nature. So this whole theme of opportunities around connected products and how by connecting your products, either from a warranty or reliability point of view, tied back to product development engineering, and or even a completely different angle, um, taking that same data to drive new business models around customer um, field service as an example, right? So this whole notion of connected products enabling greater customer satisfaction, new business models with top line revenue opportunity, um, better asset management, pre or, um, prevent downtime. Again, a whole nother area of opportunities for our customers that really drive both their top line and bottom line, as well as really important metrics to them that are completely separate from financial metrics, but really this, the um, center point of their business around customer service or experience, for example. Um, a third area that we see in one of the most prevalent and most commonly talked about I would say is really around operational effectiveness and improvement. Um, 
manufacturing for decades, right? It's not a new theme. When you talk about operational optimization, continuous improvement, right? It's an industry that has forever sought to drive cost out of its manufacturing operations, its supply chains, um, very capital intensive. How do you pull money out? How do you keep uptimes of the line going? Um, and when you think of an organization that may have hundreds of manufacturing plants themselves, let alone a supply base of, you know, thousands of suppliers across exponentially um, higher volume of suppliers themselves, when you think of the, the complexity of that ecosystem and the time and the logistics and all that goes on there, and then you think of how do I take a connected environment to be able to make um, autonomous decision-making, for example, to pull out waste in the system, right? In a thousand different ways that you could come up with. Um, the reality is most of our manufacturers that we often see are very early on their journey um, of kind of getting to that true global connected state with um, AI-backed decision-making capabilities in place, right? Every single one of them has started that journey and somehow or, or has aspirations to be on that journey. And they're all at a different phase. Um, but that's a lot of complexity because we know that every single manufacturing company and every single location inside of every company is different. There is no single um, common environment that you see. And so there's no single path to how you drive technology transformation. Um, but we see the productivity gains our customers are getting out of really bringing technologies into their manufacturing environments. And then finally, when you think of, um, again, I touched on it earlier, but sustainability, um, whether it's clean water, clean energy, um, circular economy, any of these impacts, there's a, a grave need for that from a societal point of view. Um, but incremental to that, we know manufacturers have had to find ways to meet regulatory requirements, for example, which vary differently, different by country. And so how do we help them be more cost effective in their approach towards, for example, meeting some of these regulatory requirements, right? That's just purely on a cost aspect, but they see an opportunity to also do good, um, and so how do you bring that opportunity together? How do you help them from a regulatory compliance perspective reduce their costs to meet those needs, but also see the opportunity that they can, you know, take advantage of to drive societal benefit, right? Um, because we, we know that's important from a, um, you know, from a world um, point of view as well. So those, I would say, are the, the three biggest areas of opportunity, or excuse me, the four kind of pillar areas, if you will, that we spend most of our time um, partnering with our customers and our partner ecosystem, really thinking through how do we do this efficiently? How do we tackle it? Recognizing, again, the complexity of manufacturing and that no customer is, in fact, at the same point in their journey. Their environments don't look the same, they've got their own unique aspects to their business, a lot of variables, but it's really through the lens of those four kind of pillars, if you will, that most of our work is done. And those are some, I mean, I'm just extremely significant pillars. And as you were talking, I'm just thinking, 
I've never heard an answer that way because when you go and you look at it like a next century PwC report and it's like, hey, you know, the industry is going to be a is going to add fifteen point seven trillion dollars in in revenue in the next five years. There's all these different numbers and, and mm-hmm. things that are being thrown at you. And I've even had uh, the CIO of one of my customers, a, a semiconductor manufacturer, just say, look, don't even talk about industry 4.0 today. <laughs> like I will, like I will throw you out. You know, that's kind of yeah. the, the, the theme. Some of these folks are saying, Hey, industry 4.0 is just connected products. It just connect everything, connect everything in the manufacturing floor. And then that's industry 4.0. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even, that's not the center of where you're coming from. I mean, the skills gap is something that mm-hmm. is, is not really addressed very often, especially by technology, especially, um, Nowadays, it's something that needs to be addressed. I mean, politically, it's something that talk, people talk about quite often, especially in terms of who occupies the, the Oval Office. So mm-hmm. that's, that's important. Sustainability. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that never comes up. Right. And it's just a fantastic idea um, when you start talking about these different things. Now, when you, when you merge all these different things, especially the people, the people component of that along with the sustainability it starts to look like a really successful arc of, mm-hmm. of value across the customers as they start to and like you said there's like there's probably a, a maturity model like there is we look at ai maturity models for, for what i do on a day-to-day and you wrote this article and i read it and i think it maps to what you're saying here and, and you mentioned i pulled out three i think the article was called how ai is redefining manufacturing mm-hmm. and it was it was short it was great um, and the three things I pulled out were AI and, and what we're doing today and all these different buckets, if you will, that you just mentioned. AI has got to be in- inclusive. Mm-hmm. It's got to offer accessibility. It carries with it a very, very heavy responsibility. And the third thing that really surprised me, that made so much sense to me, was it's got to it's got to have benefits, but the benefits have to um, be fair to everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a customer and after all the things that you just mentioned and they're trying to figure out where they are at, like how do they even start approaching all of these different things? Like (laughs) what would be your best advice um, if you were to sit across from a CEO or a COO and and they just Mm -hmm. in the wake of all these different things, the the, the tariffs and the trade and uh, the political environment, like what are Mm -hmm. your what are your words to them? Yeah. I so we have these conversations often and and we see a, a variety of approaches. Um oftentimes like starting thinking about industry 4.0, you generally automatically land on the factory floor. And there's no question the the massive opportunity for our customers that they have by by tackling the operational environment. And most are are doing tremendous, really great work inside the factory. Um, But depending on how those initiatives get started, um, let's say, is it kind of a ground up approach, kind of a tactical project by project mindset that's being driven, um, trying to justify every incremental kind of POC, if you will, right? This, This whole notion of POC purgatory that we can often see our customers, they want to believe in this notion of digital transformation. They want to believe in this notion of transforming their business. 
Um, but sometimes when they start with a certain approach that may be ground up oriented around a particular POC, for example, it can be difficult to quickly extract the ROI and get the kind of leadership buy-in that really allows and propels the kind of exponential value that you see as you start to basically connect a bigger data set together, right? A, you know, a hundred plants versus one line inside of a single factory, right? So it's, um, you know, where we see the greatest value is partnering with our customers to really think about kind of the, the scope of the ecosystem per se that they're wanting to tie together. How do we bring this notion of this, this data, safe, data state that kind of cuts across the environment or the ecosystem in which you're trying to tackle and, and drive value into your business? Um, and how do we think of it holistically end to end? How do we think of it when we tie together people in our workforce, because we often, we, we know, studies have shown, kind of when you put your people first at the center of what you do and at the center of your strategies, even if you're talking about an operational aspect, even if you're talking about a design aspect, right, it still takes your people to help you bring that to light. So if you can more holistically talk about um, the end-to-end -end opportunity and the value that can be seen more broadly, versus this notion of a specific use case, right? That value becomes understood um, much greater, the impact of what you can see, and you tend to get people rallied behind a greater cause than let's just say one use case, for example, in the factory floor. It turns it into um, a much greater opportunity to drive impact for your business, your customer, your stakeholders of all types, your people versus, you know, something you've been burdened with on the factory floor. So the the kind of human connectivity to it becomes much greater and you get people rallied behind it um, much more intensely and in a unified manner. So when we have the ability to have conversations and think of it through that lens by which I described, you're including people in sustainability and more broadly, let's talk about what we can do um, because at the end of the day, really to bring this to life and, and do the, the technology deployment, right, it can help the entire environment. So why not take advantage of that? Um, that's where we see the greatest conversations. But inside of that, the people aspect of how you get that done, the buy-in, and ultimately the cultural transformation inside of companies that have to be in position with with. Um, leadership kind of leading by example and leading that cultural transformation for it to be embraced and ultimately implemented in the value scene. And, and you mentioned the, the partnership, which I, I, it, that's starting to be more clear to me every single mm -hmm. day. I mean, how important it is to partner and uh, just reading some of Brad Smith's articles on LinkedIn. Um, for those that know, don't know Brad Smith, he's essentially the mm -hmm. second in command at Microsoft president. Um, and he's very cybersecurity focused and privacy focused and ethics focused. And he was kind of one of his themes was us as a technology business, we can't just make all these different, we can't integrate all these different partners and ecosystems and businesses together to make it entirely inclusive and entirely ethical. Like we can't, we can't just do that. We can't just build all of our products to do that. We really need to depend on our customers to help us. Mm -hmm. And that's how this is going to happen together. 
And then when I'm thinking about customers, I'm thinking about, especially in manufacturing, I, I looked at some of the, the keynotes that you led. So one of the keynotes you did uh, that women power in mm-hmm. 2019, I think was in Germany. Um, Hanover, Massa, yeah. Hanover. Yeah. And you talked a lot about this modern workplace and catalysts for inclusion mm-hmm. and, and you being a woman in the space, a highly educated woman, do you see gaps that are just falling that gaps below some of these higher initiatives and buckets that we're talking about that just aren't happening at the educational level that aren't happening at the ground level of how companies are hiring people in. Does that ever come to you in terms of when you're talking to customers, you're thinking about strategy, like are we missing a large group of people that are not getting on the boat at the proper time? Is that something Mm -hmm. that comes to mind for you? Um, it does. And, and, you know, over my, my career in manufacturing, I think as I reflect back on some of the learnings, um, intentional, not intentional, you can kind of debate all those things. But I think all of those learnings would tell you um, or amplify the, the need for this notion of diversity and inclusion, right? And, and why when we think about a topic like artificial intelligence, why diversity inclusion becomes so paramount, right? So if if we're developing artificial intelligence models to basically replace kind of humans making decisions, the individuals that are, are left with, you know, the creation of those models may have a bias or unconscious bias that they're not thinking of, right? And so if those teams themselves are not diverse and inclusive in their thinking um, from every angle that you can consider diversity and inclusion, um, innately, those models are going to have a bias, right? And, And we undo a lot of great work that's been done to progress kind of diversity and inclusion in the workforce. So I think even when you think about, um, some fundamental operations on a factory floor and you think about the types of skills um, that are required on the factory floor to do it and who's capable of doing it. And you think about, does language become a barrier? Does the size of somebody's hands become a barrier? Like all of these things are, are little details, but they can ultimately have an element of um, bias but kind of built inside of it unknowingly. Right. So as you start to think of artificial intelligence, even on a factory floor, for example, it is so critical that diversity and inclusion be inside of any modeling that's done, right? I mean, you, we wouldn't normally think of that for such a kind of a foundational manufacturing type environment. You don't, you don't perceive a, a bias to exist when you're designing a, a process on a factory floor, mm-hmm. kind of binary without meaning to it. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's been a tremendous number of studies that talk about um, diversity and inclusion, and it's not only is it the right thing to do, but it makes good business sense, right? Mm-hmm. But it talks about any study will tell you, for the most part, that organizations with greater diversity and inclusion ultimately um, are much more innovative and much more agile, right? So as you think about transforming your business, we know innovation and agility are are paramount to leadership in an industry and success of businesses. 
So simply having diversity and inclusion, it's, it's the right thing to do and it um, is the right business thing to do as well. Um, so again, absolutely has to be front and center. And so when you think of AI, how am I going to adapt it? How am I going how, what is my strategy for the implementation of my, my company? What use cases am I going to apply it to? How am I going to develop those models? Who are the teams that are going to develop them? You suddenly have a whole lot of things that you need to consider um, to really make sure that's being done right. And we're not undoing a lot of progress that we've made over the, the past decades. And I think I think you're you're leading by example just by talking about this because just going back through your your experience and your history you're you're coming in from a very engineering focused educational background mm-hmm. you're talking about quality and control you're talking about all these different el- you've been on the shop floor before mm-hmm. a lot of people who are designing these systems can't say that they've done that yeah. like I would have never in a million years thought about some of the comments you said about you know some of these machines that you're building are they the right sizes and are they, are these environments built inclusively so that they are made for everyone to use? I mean, that's something that no one ever thinks about unless mm-hmm. they have actually had the experience and worked on those items. And then, then mm-hmm. they, when they go build those systems, they could put that perspective into right. those systems. And I, I think this is, a, I love this topic personally because it's all mm-hmm. a data driven topic. And, you know, like you said, BCG has made all these different reports and studies and, of course, Trevor Noah, I think, came, came to Ready last year with Kate Johnson and, and had some fun videos on, on the topic. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoyed some of the, the AI design principles that Microsoft has released. So just there's six of them, fairness, inclusiveness, reliability and safety, transparency, privacy and security, and accountability. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about AI and ethics with a customer, um, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago and immediately like their eyes started rolling back. <laughs> um, which is, I mean, how, how do you. And did exp- they have any commentary with it? Like what was their, their, their eye rolling point? There, you know what there, there was, and that there wasn't. And typically that's how it goes. It's like when you ask someone, Hey, do you have a mindfulness exercise or do you meditate? Right. They're not going to say, Oh, well, meditation is crappy. They're, they're just mm-hmm. going to kind of say, what are you know what are you some kind of a hippie so it's almost like that same thing is coming across when we're talking about this to customers mm-hmm. and it's like it's frustrating because it's like why don't you just believe in this and just listen to us and it's not marketing jargon this is mm-hmm. real stuff um, yeah. what are like what are your feelings about you I mean you're actually meeting a lot of these different leaders globally Mm-hmm. Is this something that they care about, Wendy, or is this something that they're just checking the box? And if they are just checking the box, what are your thoughts about getting them, helping them to care more? Yeah, I, we see a tremendous number of customers that it really does matter to them and they yeah. are taking it seriously. Um, I think the challenge often becomes, uh, I am taking this seriously but quote unquote, like, how do I do it? How do I begin? How do I know that I'm doing it? How am I assured that I'm doing the right thing? Um, <clears throat> and so when we think of this topic of ethical AI, for example, just one example, right? What is, 
kind of what is one of Microsoft's foundational principles on this beyond the six pillars that you talk about is AI should be used to augment human ingenuity, right? We're not designing it to replace people per se. Um, but when you think about it, it's here to augment a, a human's ingenuity and how do you put the two together and allow humans to do their best work um, and feel good about what they're doing and drive great impact, right? And then you get to these things like inclusiveness or fairness, right? While they may be perceived as a buzzword, they are in fact serious as we've talked about, right? They are absolutely defined there for a reason and they're absolutely there as principles that Microsoft is focusing on and very, very um, committed to, right? So as you develop AI, I think it's being very open with what are your principles because this is a new space for all of us. Right. And we need to make sure we have principles by which we're grounded on, that we work with our customers and partner as guiding principles towards, let's say, co-innovation on something that we're, we're working to, to sell together. And anytime you're innovating in a new area, you know, it can be prone for mistakes, but you have to have guiding principles that are known. You have to be committed to them. You have to know that ethics do matter and they're at the core of everything that we do. But when you've got an, something that can impact kind of human lives, um, and even if you take the topic of ethics, for example, right, ethics for you versus me versus somebody else in the, across the world with a different culture, those can be interpreted differently. Right. But at the the basic foundational principles, this notion of fairness, for example, is a guiding principle that as we work together and we're trying to crack the code on new innovation and do things that have never been done before and then grounded in a principle that says I'm only going to do this for good and for everybody so that everyone can take advantage of um, and ensure that I'm not negatively impacting others um, that keeps you on the right track in terms of that it's it's meant for good right um, you know whether you come back to this whole notion of AI for good or sustainability etc I'm here to help you know the human being um, and treat everyone same and fair and all that stuff it, it keeps you centered in making sure that we are going to make mistakes but let's recognize them and let's do everything that we can do in our power, for example, you know, making and ensuring and being committed to diverse and inclusive teams to prevent as much bias from ever coming in and even having the propensity to show up unexpectedly, right? Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that you're building governance models that keep you adhering to those, those principles. And I mean, that's such a grounded response. It sounds like you just put a tremendous amount of thought and I think that's the hardest part is just thinking and, and mm -hmm. sharing ideas. And you talked about the principles and while you were talking it, I just instantly automatically thought about a marriage mm -hmm. and whether it be in Africa between two women, two men, that doesn't matter. There's a marriage generally between two yeah. people or a bond between two people. The successful bonds that I know about and, obviously my, my father-in-law has played golf with me a couple times. So he's 
<laughs> he's he's convinced me of some some new learnings there. But you're sharing your the, your principles about you know what you value in the world, and if those principles aren't aligned, and sometimes they might may not be, but as long as they're put forth and you're able to look upon them and and trade ideas and and do some discovery, usually the outcome tends to be pretty healthy and pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know we're, we're coming to the top of the hour. Wanted to ask you, you've, you've led people before, you, before this role, you were the GM of US industry. So you, you've probably had teams and teams of people below you. What, what is something that you struggle with? <laughs> you know, I, oh, where could I begin on this one? <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's such an exciting time in the technology world, in the business world, the opportunity that we have with our customers, all that we could be focusing on. Um, it's really hard to, sometimes it can be difficult to be grounded in, and you know, kind of how do I begin? There's a thousand things I could do, but if I'm gonna pick just a few things that I'm gonna really focus on and really go drive impact, what is my overriding, um, you know, commitment that I'm making to my customer that we're really going to crack through this, you know, this whole notion of digital transformation and taking an industry as complex as manufacturing. I know many other industries are equally complex, but the complexity of manufacturing and keeping focused on helping them achieve what their business can can achieve. Um, staying on course, not getting frustrated with how, how quickly it can go off track, but really staying committed to your customer's vision, your customer's goals. It doesn't always come quickly, but, but know them and let that be kind of your empowering MO every day, if you will, right? When you see a customer bring to life their goals, especially if it gets around those heart-stringing things like around their people, um, or broader society, it can be so impactful. So don't get caught up in the, the day-to-day problems that any complex business has, right? That's, that is business reality, no matter where you go, no matter what customer, no matter what industry, internal, external. But really um, think ambitiously around at the highest level, elements of the, you know, the workforce or the person, or think of sustainability and you know, the, the ability to, to drive um, food production for the world, right? Think of those higher elements that all of us ultimately are tying into to drive and that every step that we can help our customers on that journey are going to those greater causes. And like, that's the really exciting part of what technology can do and be brought to life. Um, but it takes patience and it takes commitment and staying the course with our customer, but really focusing on what are their ambitions versus kind of the tactical, what am I trying to get done tomorrow? Um, and if you keep those in mind, it is really um, inspirational and really gets you motivated to, um, to show up every day and partner with your customer in a way that, that we're all striving to do here at Microsoft every day. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and then some, just a, some quick, fun questions. Uh, a favorite book that you're reading or have read in the last couple couple weeks, months? Oh, oh. Becoming by Michelle Obama. 
So that is on my my uh, summer vacation read. Started it, but didn't get very far with the, the projects that I had going on. So I'm going to go back and crack that one back out. Perfect. I, I bought yeah. that for my wife and I gave it to her and she was like, we have two children under, under two. And she just looked at me like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'll just put this on the shelf. Um, yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> lastly, if you could, uh, uh, be, if you could be any sci-fi character from any movie or comic book or whatever, who would it be? And why? I can't answer that because I am totally not into sci-fi. Okay. Do you have it a, is- do you, have, do you have a heroine other than Barack or uh, I'm sorry, Michelle Obama? Oh, um, someone that you just look up to. Um, no, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I'm not a. Yeah, I'm not a sci-fi person. Um, I am not super into politics, so I don't. I don't follow them. But no, I love country music. Okay. Well, that's. Do you have a fa- <laughs> Do you have a favorite uh, country music star? Is it sh- like a Shania Twain? Um, oh, I, I loved her in my high school days and early college days. Loved her. Love Keith Urban right now. Um, Rascal Flatts, some of the classics, but yeah. That's fun. That's yeah. really fun. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Wendy. And then what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they'd like to connect in or pop you a message? Or LinkedIn is probably the best way. Wendy Kakari Bauer. Okay. And I'll, I'll share that with people. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Been a pleasure. This was really fun. And I hope you have a really great afternoon. Awesome. You too. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter, or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.